You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 65. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Okay, and we're live. Are you live? Say it live for you. It it looks live from this end. It went from off air to live. All right, great. It's live. All right. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. Is that uh, a good thing or a bad thing? Because we're I trying to get it, out of it, aren't we? Yeah, but um, but in order to get out of it, you have to kind of figure out where you are right now and then uh, sort of think a little differently. So that's what you need the show for. You, you have to recognize that you have reached the local maximum. Right, right. And so, yeah, it's okay to hang out in the local maximum for a little while. You're not going to get – it's not going to kill you. Uh, you know, and um, – uh, uh, talking about it uh, and uh, trying to think a new way uh, will help you reach another local maximum. And that's what we help you do on the show. So welcome, everyone, to what is this, episode 65. And uh, my co-host Aaron returns today. Aaron, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. 65, just in time for retirement. Yes. Um, <laughs> like I said, I've now done more. I said last time I've done more local maximum shows than I have did uh, Max and Louis shows at, uh, at uh, WYBC at Yale. So that's pretty exciting. Brings back memories. Yeah. Yeah. You were on that show, too, weren't you? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was you in the studio once. You were. You were. I, I think I called in more than once. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, another thing that's unprecedented on the show, and by the way, we're going to get to our main topic of the day, just before anyone worries that we're not going to do it. And that is going to be how to estimate the probability of an event that has never occurred. So uh, I, I do want to talk about our previous, uh, my previous interviews and a little bit of news before we get into that. If, if you're just here for the probability thing, I guess you could skip over that. But, um, but this stuff is, uh, is important to me. So first of all, the, the unprecedented thing that I want to talk about first is the fact that I just did five interviews in a row on the local maximum. Uh, a lot of people want to be interviewed by the show, so that's pretty cool. Uh, did you listen to them? I did. Yeah, I've 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 got them all under my belt now, and it's that's pretty good. It's it's hard to believe that it's been that long since we've done a show together. Right, right. So I did uh, Hillary Mason on machine learning research. That was that was very good, and a lo- and, and also a little bit about. Um, getting into data science and careers. And along the career trajectory, uh, I spoke to Bethany Crystal from Union Square Ventures. Um, and then Mark Sanadella, CEO of The Ladders. Um, so that was a really huge kind of career-oriented uh, episode, which I think is going to help people, uh, anyone who listens to it. Um, I know I wrote some I changed my resume around a little bit after talking to him. I don't know if I'll ever get to use it, but uh, I probably will eventually. Um, but uh, I definitely definitely got me thinking about it a little differently. I don't know. Yeah, if I've, I've always it. struggled with, with what I thought was, was kind of his number one uh, point with a bullet from, from that, which was you need to have quantifiable things list, listed in, in your in your experience, it's it way harder. Be, I I made this thing better, or I worked on this project. You need to say how much better you made it, or you know how much more revenue you brought in because of that. And and I've always struggled with that because uh, I, I I'm I'm very much your your classic uh, engineer. I go into my engineering uh, silo, and I think that you know revenue and profits and and all that that's salesperson stuff. I don't have to worry about that, but it's it's short sighted to. 
to think of it that way, unfortunately. Yeah. I even I even have a hard time being like, okay, how am I going to measure my own goals at work? It's something worth thinking about. Yeah, well, um, and, that, and that's something that they always say when you're when you're in the goal setting process is the key to a good goal is to have it be uh, among several things something quantifiable. It's, otherwise, you'll you'll never really be sure if you've attained it. Yeah, it's quantifiable only like 10% of the time. But I guess that's, <laughs> can you quantify it to quantifiable? Uh, maybe, maybe my goal is to make, uh, f- uh, in- increase the number of quantifiable goals by 20% this quarter. See, um, that, that makes me uncomfortable with how, uh, how slick and salesman that starts sounding. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so the other two were more, I guess, news based and sort of, um, sort of got us into like the moment we're in today with, with uh, our society and with technology. And they kind of played off each other really well. The first was uh, Facebook versus capitalism, where I spoke to Michael Bronspiegel about how Facebook is, I don't know if I want to make a better word, like attacking his capitalism page. And the other was uh, Denise Hearn uh, with her book, The Myth of Capitalism, talking about the monopolization of big tech. And they were kind of counterpoints to each other. But I think that um, despite being on way opposite ends of the spectrum, there's kind of a common problem here. Yeah, the, those those certainly seem to dovetail together. And uh, I, I knew ahead of time that you were going to be doing that that uh, live interview with, with Denise. And, yeah. and I, I had expected a I expected her to take a very different position, even seeing some of the material that she was going to be presenting. Um, and, and maybe that's that's more on me that I was preparing to take an adversarial uh, position. Uh, but w- while while you certainly did not... Uh, I'm also very uh, good at finding common ground, so... Well, yeah, but, it's, you, you certainly weren't uh, 100% aligned, but, but there was also a number of things that you very much agreed on. So it's, it's good to establish that at least there's some common ground. We agree on a couple of things. And Maybe our solution to this problem isn't the same. Maybe our exact read on what the nature of the problem is 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 not the same. But we, we, we recognize a lot of the same symptoms and we're trying to work towards similar outcomes. Uh, right. Even, even if, if we don't agree on, on how to get there. Sometimes that's a good start. So, uh, not in this case, but in other cases, it's, it's not a good start because even, you know, you hear this all the time. Well, those people understand the problem. They just don't know the solution yet, but their solution is terrible. So, you know, there's not much you can do. But look, um, I, I do think the big narrative is it seems like these big tech giants, these content, social content giants are getting seemingly getting more and more powerful. And my prediction is that they're sort of backing themselves into a corner and eventually they're going to be replaced by a new regime of, uh, of content services, maybe more decentralized regime. I don't know exactly when that happens. We've examined that idea here in the program yet. I don't want to get today into too much on the solutions, but just yeah, as... Was, was, it, was it Tim Berners-Lee who was, was proposing some... Some paths to that kind of a it was a Tim Berners Lee. Approach. We talked uh, about among this. others, certainly. Yeah, we, we talked about this um, in a, a, a previous episode. I want to say uh, it's episode. Now I've got to go look it up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I sprung that on you, so you got to do some homework on that. All one. right, so hold on, hold on. I'm going to look it up in the archive because one of the earlier episodes yeah, where this, this is what you need a producer for to to 
to do this yeah. uh, while, while you're recording live, or, or at least a research assistant. Yeah. All right. So it was called uh, Facebook Data and the Election, Decentralization to the Rescue. So episode six, we're still talking about this stuff, but um, that was sort of uh, Chris Dixon's article uh, who's who's a VC on, right. on how the, how that's going to go? Yeah. And, and there and are a lot of people talking about this and a lot of different ideas and how this is going to all unfold. Um, but I see a lot of smart people sort of saying very similar things. So uh, this is definitely something that we can cover over the next few years. Yeah, it's it's certainly going to be coming back. Uh, we we talked yeah. about it in episode six, and and I I would expect that many episodes uh, since in then. Episode one hundred and six, we'll still be talking about it. That's not that's coming up. That's less than yeah. a year away. So uh, a year okay. is a long time when it comes to technology. Yeah, yeah, but not not in this issue. I think this issue will still be there probably in 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 four years. Well, I don't know. I I really do believe. I, I feel that in five years. Uh, the the conversation on this will be totally different. I think in a year it'll probably be the same, but we'll see. We'll hold me to account a year and hold me to account five years, and we'll we'll find out. Um, so I just wanted today, today before we get into our main topic to just present a couple articles that I think are like a sign of the times. First is one just from today, which is that uh, you know it, this is an article from M- NPR, but this is a big news story coming out today. Facebook bans dangerous individuals. Now, you look up the individuals, they are pretty, you know, they're not, uh, they're not people that I would say <laughs> I'm at all aligned with. Um, you know, sort of white supremacists and um, Louis Farrakhan and who's that other guy? Alex Jones, uh, who we've talked about on the show. Um, Alex, people, st- of all those characters, people tend to have the most uh, visceral reaction to Alex Jones for some reason. Um, even even when compared to the 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 really like uh, the people stoking like religious and racial hatred directly, which which I find interesting. Um, but anyway, I, I just want people to realize because a lot of people who listen to podcasts, a lot of podcasters are pro free speech. They want to have a lot of voices. Podcasting podcasting is very decentralized, uh, based on RSS feeds. So. A lot of people listen to podcasts don't realize, you know, why people inside these tech companies are doing it. And so I found a quote from this article that I wanted to um, from, from from Media Matters that that I wanted I, I wanted to um, I, I wanted to repeat. But then I also want to tell you what my experience is. So the quote is: "The timing is never an accident." Angelo Caruso, president of the liberal organization Media Matters, told The Post. It's interesting that NPR called them out as a liberal uh, organization. The reality is people are getting killed. There are mass shootings and mass murders that are clearly being connected to ideas like white genocide, which are fueling radicalization. The conditions have changed. When you have these massive catalyzing moments that are connected to real-life consequences, it put pressure on Facebook and others to look in the mirror. So, I mean... I've been watching the news coverage of uh, a lot of these shootings, and it's really terrible to see, you know, people going into places of of worship now. But I feel like people in the in the tech industry are internalizing this. Like, this is my fault unless I go to my manager or I go to my executives and I say, no, like like we can do something about this because. Our allowing so and so to speak is um, has a causal relationship with these shootings, so, and I'm not I'm not going to get into whether you know how to prove or disprove that. But 
people are definitely internalizing that idea. They see this stuff on the news and they're like, oh my God, that's because of me and we have to do something about it. And free speech or open debate is not really in people's minds right now. And that's where we're at in, in tech in 2019. Uh, that's- there, there are a lot of valid concerns on the table there, and I'm going to try really hard to, to flip my rant switch and flip it right back off in a minute or less. But Okay, uh, give it a shot. So, so the, the, the problem here is, is an issue of censorship and where, when and where that, that is appropriate. Uh, you've got the case of, you know, in, in, in Germany, you can't publish Mein Kampf. Uh, and in New yeah. Zealand, they you can't publish the manifesto or the uh, the video feed from the the recent sh- uh, mass shooter there, uh, and there are cases when I I I'm fully on board with choosing not to publish, but mandating not to publish I'm uncomfortable with. So uh, there's something that that the media has started to get on board with, which I am fully in support of, and that is in the event of of a mass shooting or. Or one of these yeah. well, uh, vehicle attacks. J- just or, to jump in for a second. Go, just go jump ahead. in for a second. Like those countries, well, particularly Germany, don't have the same history of you know freedom right. of speech. They, they're coming from a very city. different place than yeah. we are. Uh, but but there's there is a real concern for glorifying the uh, the the perpetrator who may or may not be martyring themselves and how that leads to copycats and. In the U.S., media has started to get on board with uh, choose, choosing, not not being mandated, but but voluntarily choosing not to publish the name of uh, of mass shooters and and to to not reveal certain details of the events because they feel that it will do more damage than good. And that I am okay. I with. agree with that. However, yeah, uh, Facebook or Google or or these other. Uh, services, they are not a media outlet who chooses what to publish. They are a platform. And so my take would be that they have, uh, that, that uh, un- unless we read, reassess, redetermine what the, uh, who's a platform and who's a publisher, that it's not their place to tell us that we can't share this information on that platform. Uh, and, and that's when it becomes censorship as opposed to uh, a, journalism Aaron, or media code of conduct. But but Aaron, it's more than that. It's look, I it'd be one thing if they say don't, you know, don't publish don't, don't publish the names of the shooters, don't publish their manifestos. I can get behind that, but I feel like they are taking certain people and again, not the people that I would say are, you know, in my sphere of of what I I agree with or what I think is appropriate, but in saying, okay, the fact that these people are getting their ideas out that's causing uh, that that's causing these other horrible things to happen. And even if there's no, like no obvious connection. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm, I'm fundamentally a believer that good information will chase out bad uh, and that the truth will chase out lies eventually. And it may be a messy process, but if you try and force it uh, by, by blocking the bad information, you drive it underground and well, it becomes more powerful. But not only that, it's, it's, we're not the one who's blocking this stuff. Essentially, we're giving that power to like, uh, com- uh, actors like Facebook and now YouTube, Google. Well, sure. sure. And, 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 and so and, apparently they've adopted a worldview that yeah. is not that the truth will win out uh, eventually and that open debate and discussion is the way to get there. But they've, they've decided that, that either their audience or their platform is too weak to do that 
And so they, they need to stack the deck in favor of what they believe to be the right outcome. Yeah, but what I wanted to say on that is that they are, you know, what makes us think that anyone, ha- like giving some large, essentially, as we've been saying, monopolized group that power is going to end well, like they're going to use it in the appropriate way. Oh, absolutely, way. it won't. Like, and, and how does this end? Because anyone who thinks this it- ends that this has a happy ending, I just don't see how you can't think more than two steps ahead. Even if everybody in that role right now is is well-intentioned and pure of heart, uh, then that just means that they're setting up a, a, a mechanism that can easily be co-opted by somebody who is less so in the future. Oh, yeah, and it will. Um, so another one is, that, that I wanted to post, and I'm just going to quickly go by these for lack of time, but uh, for an article from a month ago that the YouTube executives ignored warnings um, and let toxic videos run rampant. There's a lot of negative publicity on their algorithm. Uh, you know, apparently the charge is that it leads people to more and more radical content. But again, the whole media narrative and the discussions that people are having inside these companies are not how do we, you know, uh, how do we have a free and open debate here? The discussion is, oh, my God, we're causing horrible things to happen. It's all our fault. Or if you're a journalist, it's all your fault. You know, and uh, it's like, um, you know, it, it's become a moral crusade uh, to, uh, you know, start. Um, I, I said this at the end of episode uh, 61 with uh, Michael Brownspiegel of Capitalism. Like, you know, everyone hates Facebook, but there's two groups. There's people who hate Facebook who are not because, you know, they're like blocking you or whatever. Uh, but the dominant narrative is, no, Facebook, I hate Facebook because they're not blocking enough. And so people sort of see, I hate Facebook, you hate Facebook, maybe we could be friends. But, whoa, this is a case where you're taking things in totally different direction. Well, it's it's the Brexit uh uh, problem all over again. They had a majority of people who supported Brexit, but they didn't realize until after the uh, the vote that those they they agreed on yes we want Brexit, but they vehemently disagreed on what type of Brexit they wanted, uh, and so that's why they haven't been able to actually come to an agreement on how they're going to do it. So oh, they're, they're, I, they're stuck. I don't know if we have time to dive into that analogy. No, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to throw that grenade and run away, uh, <laughs> and, and we'll deal with it at another time. All right. Do we have anything uh, anything else to talk about on this topic before we move on to uh, um, I'll, before we I'll, move on to probability and uh, yeah? Yeah, I'll mention two things really quickly. Okay. Um, one one is a uh, a uh, actually it's a podcast that I listen to, but he he also has a, a YouTube channel. Um, the uh, it's it's Popular Front. Uh, and he he covers uh, ba- basically uh, w- conflicts and war zones around the world that aren't necessarily getting mainstream media coverage. Uh, and part of that is he's made a number of documentaries and and sharing you know footage from from places like the Ukraine or Syria or Iraq and Afghanistan where he's done field reporting. Uh, and apparently YouTube has chosen to block him from monetizing his channel. Uh, claiming that it depicts uh, it depicts violence, uh, which which is not inaccurate. There are violent things happening in those videos because he's reporting from a war zone. Uh, but his counterpoint is nothing that I'm I'm posting in these documentaries is any more violent or more controversial than what you're seeing on like the BBC or Sky News or or CNN. Uh, it's just that I'm one guy freelancing in in the world of of conflict journalism versus a huge multimedia or you know multinational corporation 
and so I'm unable to make a penny off of this while they're just rolling in the dough. And and it's it's unfair that that not only can he not monetize it, but he can't even get a response from YouTube trying to straighten this out. Um, yeah. So I, I don't have an answer to that. Just uh, an example of another case where the censorship is, whether it's real people making those decisions or the algorithm, it's it's doing so with an uneven hand. Yeah. Um, and and we'll, we'll throw a link into a, a, another article about uh, concerns on the side of Instagram. I guess they handed down some new standards for how they're going to uh, censor and moderate their, their material. But there are some serious concerns about how that's going to be implemented uh, and and that it's going to be uneven and going to have a disproportionate effect or, or a lower threshold for for what gets censored for women uh, compared to men, particularly okay. on the, the matter of uh, sexually suggestive or indecent material. All right. I think that this – we can come back to this in a future episode where we can go through yeah, all the social – Yeah, this is not going to be solved uh, yeah. anytime soon. So it's, we could it's do, ripe for a return. I think we go through all the socials and go through – uh, you know, the specific problems that they're having and compare and contrast, that would be a good show. Uh, but for now, let's get back into the question that I think you brought this yeah, question to the up. main topic. Yeah. So what are the strategies for coming up with a uh, for estimating the probability of an event that has never occurred before? Now, uh, before we dive into it, I want to ask you, you know, this question, I think, it, you originated it. I don't know if you did or I did, but was there, if it was you, uh, was there something that uh, prompted that question in your head? Uh, was, there so, was there some, or, or, or was it just um, I, I, random? I can't think of a, a specific event that I, I want to be able to predict, but, but more so just the whole concept of black swan events. And, and maybe, uh, may, maybe you're going to kind of bootstrap a little bit to it this way, but um, there's, I kind of break it into two different categories. There are these, it's never occurred before, just just straight up never. And then there's yeah. the, it's never occurred before in my lifetime. So from my perspective, it's functionally never occurred before. But but we may be able to get some information on it from yeah. a historical context. Yeah. So, so first of all, I think, you know, you should try to be able to, this is not an impossible question. Um, all pro- like we talked about subjective probability in episode uh, 21. Uh, so you should be able to come up with a personal kind of a probability measure. You could try to measure in your head, you know, what is the likelihood of an event happening? If that probability is important to you, you should be able to try to estimate it. And there are some strategies that I'm going to go through now. Um, I'm not going to go through like the, the mathematics of it. I'm going to go through a little bit of the philosophy of it and a little bit of the overall techniques of um, – of, of events that have never occurred. But first of all, I want a little thinking point for you, Aaron. Um, and the first statement I want to make is uh, every event that you could think of that you want to estimate the probability for has never occurred before. There is no probability uh, that you could give me for an event that, uh, that has occurred before. Um, and the, the, the reason is that um, well, think of a try to think of a counterexample. Well, so so I guess we're, we're th- this may be getting a little semantic, uh, but it but is. But if we that, need to do, let's dive yeah, into you, it. Come on, you're, you're saying that that if something has occurred before, then then it it has occurred, uh, and maybe I should rephrase it as what is the probability of something occurring again that has occurred before? Well, and you that, see, that, the thing is, it never occurs in exactly the same way. 
even like something is going to be different. Um, for example, the timestamp. <laughs> when it occurs, you know. Okay, so, um, so this so, gets into the whole philo- philosophical. You you can never step into the same river twice. Exactly, and you could never if you think of something very deterministic, like rolling a die. Right? If I roll a die right now, it's a different event than all the die rolls that you've seen in the past, and so it's it's. My current roll of the die is an event that's never uh, is an event that hasn't happened yet, and it hasn't occurred before. And so you're still estimating. Okay, what's the probability a three is going to come up? You're still going to say one sixth, um, but you, you are instead kind of lumping it in with other die rolls that you've heard about. And so uh, it is, um, and, and especially in the real world, I want to I want to uh, return to this uh, idea of. There's definitely a spectrum here, and, and let me get to this in a minute. I have uh, a couple more thinking questions to, to go into uh, before I dive into that. The second thinking question is that an event that has already occurred has probability one. And so this is another mind-bending thing, uh, because let's say, I rolled a die, uh, let's say I rolled that die and a three came up, and I asked you, what is the uh, probability that I just rolled a three? Well... The answer is one. 100% sure that I just rolled a three because it's already happened. That, that, and you've already that seen. is assuming that you have perfect knowledge. Right, right. So the probability is actually a little bit less than one because you might have gotten fake news. Uh, you might have someone wrote it down wrong or you might not believe your lying eyes or something like that. Uh, but, and, and, and where this could come into play significantly is, is in the historical record. Right. We may say, well, th- this happened and, and but maybe we believe it, it happened because of these primary sources and this physical evidence. But are we absolutely sure that this is actually what happened and that there is no other alternative explanation for where that evidence came from? Right, uh, right. But, so, but yes, from, from a philosophical point of view, if, if something has happened, then the probability of that event is indeed one. Yes. Right, right, right. Uh, but that sort of gives us an interesting... So let's suppose that I'm walking down the street in... Um, let's say I visit Cleveland, and I'm walking down the street in Cleveland, and all of a sudden I see you there. And I'm like, Aaron, I didn't know you were in Cleveland. I didn't know you are walking down the street. What are the odds? And you'd be like, the odds are 100%, because it just happened. Uh, well, but, but that's, that's a useless... Well, that's a functionally useless piece of information. What would be useful is if... 60 seconds before you saw me, someone posed you the question, what are the odds of you running into Aaron on the street in, in the next 60 seconds? Yes. And you would make a prediction. That's useful information. And that's which, often but, what we're talking but, about. But once you see me, you update that to, oh, well, the probability of that is, is 100% because yeah. it, it's already happened. Yeah. So, uh, right. So oftentimes when we talk about the probability of events occurring, it's, um, it's the probability it, – it, it, it's you kind of have to think about this a little bit. It's a little bit of a mind game, but it's really the your subjective probability of the event occurring given the information that you had and the techniques that you had before the event occurred. Yeah. So, so, so from think a Bayesian that. point of view, that that Cleveland scenario, it was yeah. Cleveland, right? I don't know uh, why I chose Cleveland. I there must have been a reason. So, so <laughs> you you completely unexpectedly encounter me in Cleveland one right. day. Yeah. And you've. So, yes, there's a 100% chance now that you have encountered me in Cleveland on that day at that time. Right. Uh, Only because I've never been there. But, but that information is, is 
of very little use, except for the fact that now, if you were to ask the question, what is the what are the odds that I encounter Aaron in Cleveland again tomorrow, given that I saw him there today? Well, you're going to give that a much higher probability now than you would have uh, prior to that encounter in Cleveland. Well, yeah, because I know you're there, right? Um, and but also, um, so so in that yeah. case, it's useful. But but again, it's it's of it's of but, questionable use in in looking backwards in time. I, right. I guess B- Bayesian. The basic approach is, is a very limited use go, looking looking in, in that direction. No, no, no. I bet, I, you, what you kind of have to do is you kind of have to take yourself – when you go backward in time, you could do it. But you have to sort of take yourself back and you have to say, okay, what were the – what was the information that I had available at that time? And then say – and the, the interesting probability number that you want is based off of that information, not the information that you have now. So um, – yeah, you could do what you want. If I say, oh, the chances are, I don't know, one in 10,000, um, then um, that, that makes sense of a number, as a number, but it's not, the, it's, not, it's not my probability now. It was my probability then, if that makes any sense. Right, um, and, and certain events are of varying levels of independence. So uh, yeah. the, in, in that example, you running into me on the street in Cleveland uh, one day has a much, much uh, it's much more the the odds of you running into me in Cleveland the following day are much more dependent on on that outcome than uh, the odds of you rolling a six if you just rolled a six there yeah. th- um, unless we've got some strange quantum intertwining going on here let's say no uh, that those are completely independent yeah and and so that that information doesn't uh, d- doesn't really transit through time in any meaningful fashion there yeah yeah so like I said, there's, there's kind of a spectrum of events. And now, you know, the, the chance of a second meeting, well, the second meeting has never occurred before either, even though the first meeting has never occurred before. Also, the second meeting has never occurred before. Like I said before, all events are events that has never occurred before. So when I break down this question, I actually think that I, I'm not saying that your question has no meaning. I'm just trying to figure out what the meaning is, because if we take it too literally, then it has no meaning. And so I want to figure out what the, what the meaning of the question really is. So I, I kind of see it as a spectrum where, you know, a dice roll or most casino games are on one end of the spectrum where you know the physical properties of the system. You know, there are six sides, two sides of a coin, 52, uh, you know, how many rolls of the wheel, 52 cards, all that stuff. And so, and you can get at those probabilities two ways. You could either, you know, choose, you could either like, you know, roll the, roll the die many times and then sort of figure out the probability that way. Or you just know the physical probabilities of the die and just say it's all, each side is approximately one sixth. Um, but even though those events, each individual roll or, or whatever is an event that has never occurred before, that's, that's not the event that you're talking about because those kind of all get lumped into the same type of event. And so, right, I, you, you you can kind of work your way back from it in that. Right. Yes, we we potentially live in a universe with infinite branching universes off of it. However, uh, we're Wait, what? we're yeah. we're only we're only interested in in the in in the particular question we're asking. So, if, if the case is uh, you know I'm going to roll a die, a six sided die, and yeah. uh, and we want to know what the chance of a given number coming up on it is. Well, there's. It's it's a unique occurrence if it rolls a six, uh, given you know every other variable that that's currently uh, currently evolving in the universe around it. 
there could be many cases where I roll a six, which are all unique and have never happened before. Uh, but but in the context of that question, it only matters, is it rolling a six or not? Right. So you, you, you can kind of collapse that universe back down somewhat into the particular cases we're interested in. Well, to think about it another way. Uh, and assuming episode- that none of those other things influence that. Right. Which, to it, some extent, is true. Yeah. In, in episode 57, I talked about the idea of using analogies, an argument by analogy to try to figure out what the, um, you know, what the probability of something is. And each roll of the die is completely analogous to another one. And so that's sort of what I use. And I think what you're looking at are um, events that maybe have no obvious analogy associated with them. And so you can say they've never occurred before. So like, like you said, something completely unexpected, a black swan, um, there's also like events that have never occurred before, but, um, you know, well, let me, let me ask you about this event. Um, and, and I have it further down a little bit, but what is the probability of a meteor striking a city? And let's say we have some threshold doing X amount of damage or X amount of, of casualties. Um, that has never happened before. Is that the type of event that you're thinking about? Uh, that that could be one. Uh, the 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 classic example that I've and I'm trying to remember which podcast I heard about this on, but I feel like it's come up numerous times in in the last few months uh, is the Trinity nuclear test. Okay. So so this this was the the first uh, first man made uh, nuclear detonation. Uh, it was it was in in New Mexico uh, and and. Part of the the concern because they'd never uh, had this this type of reaction before. Um, there there was a theory that it would literally catch the atmosphere on fire uh, and Ooh. destroy the Earth, much, much like when the Large Hadron Collider was turned on. And there was a non-zero chance that this could create a black hole that would end existence as we know it. Wait, wait, and, what? Wait, 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 wait slow down. <laughs> It, explain I, I believe this. that was the Large Hadron Collider. I never heard of this before. Oh, well, now, now I'm going to have to do the research on it. <laughs> well, that's crazy, man. Um, okay. Uh, so, so, okay. There's, I'm doing some chemical reaction, some nuclear reaction. I don't know. Well, look, I don't know the physics of it, so I, I obviously can't give, give a specific answer. But those are also, let, let's just say, okay, those are also the type of things we want to know. Can this destroy the Earth? Obviously, the Earth has never been destroyed before. Um, uh, another example I give here is the probability of an American living to 120 in the next 20 years. So I looked up a list of oldest people. I think probably there's been an American who's lived to 120, but not verified. So um, that is an interesting question uh, because there's a lot of factors that could go into that. First of all, there are certainly plenty of people who are over 100, right, who yep. can, can, can live that long. Um, there's no evidence that suggests it's impossible to live that long other than it, it hasn't happened yet. Um, and so um, that's another one that we want to estimate. So again, without diving into these particular examples, and again, if someone has some specific insight into these specific examples, I'd like to hear about it, localmaxradio@gmail.com. But I want to also refer to episode 57 again, because 
the way that we get to these things is we're always looking for analogies. That's the only way that we know things. And I kind of go back to this. I don't think I've spoken to you directly about this, Aaron, but I kind of go back to like the main assumption that I always have to make. And that assumption is that there is some regularity in the universe. Um, And so by that, I mean that um, analogies sometimes work is another way to put it. Not that the whole universe is regular. You know, I'm sure you've heard of the Einstein, like, uh, you know, God doesn't play dice or God does play dice. Right. Well, I, I suppose another way to look at this would be. Well, well hang uh, on, just to finish my point. Oh, go, go ahead. It, it, it's not. I'm not saying God plays dice or God doesn't play dice. I'm not taking um, a position on that. The only position that that I'm taking is that there's some regularity. Like some, if you look at a picture, like each pixel is in somehow related to the pixels around it. Not always. You could have a random pixel, but. If each pixel has no relationship to any pixel around it, you essentially have a picture with no information. Yeah, um, you just have yeah. white noise. Right, right. And so a universe that, that's organized in any other way other than analogies sometimes work uh, is, is no universe at all. It's a universe of no information. And therefore, I think I could safely make that assumption. And so that, that's sort of the, the foundation of kind of my philosophical outlook right now. And then... I could say, okay, analogies sometimes work. Then we could start talking about which analogies work, which analogies don't work. And that's where you can get into trouble. But, yeah, it's, yes, it's, go ahead. It's just an extrapolation of, of the, the laws of thermodynamics that, that uh, entropy is, is a fact of the universe and it's moving in one direction. And while in a, a certain zone, you may be able to push it in the opposite direction, you can't push the universe as a whole in the opposite direction. That that everything is always moving uh, towards entropy. And, and uh, I, I, think, sure. I think that that by extension means that, that yes, there has to be some sort of regularity in the universe and, 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 these, and, and, yeah. and, and the corollary that... that Otherwise, that we, we can't have a conversation. That, that this regularity... If, if you draw a box around something within that universe, there's no guarantee that the regularity holds within that. Yeah, but, so but the system as a whole will. Right. So you have to have some. So, yeah, like, like I said, if, if, if you're talking about a picture, right, not every pixel on the picture is going to make sense or going to have some formula for it. But you could say, hey, is a pixel more likely to be the same color as a pixel next to it? I would say yes. Uh, like just looking at my my face here on the YouTube video, like if I have the 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 blue pixel on my shirt, well, it's actually a blob of blue. So, you know, there are. Um, you know, there, there are pixels there that are the same. That's how image recognition works. Um, and so, but, you know, the words we use, the text we use, the, they're not well, it's, random. It's, uh, the, an example we've talked about uh, in, a, in a previous context, the idea of like a hundred year storm. Right. Um, you, you could have 200 year storms in a hundred year period. Hell, you could have 200 year storms in a 10 year period. Uh, and and that, that doesn't break the rules. It, but, but if you expand your view to a long enough time frame. Then, then yes, it will appear that that they're happening on on average every hundred years. E- either that, or you've messed up your your scale for what a hundred year storm is based on bad bad input data. Sure, if you could say, well, there's climate change, then you could say, well, the, the game has changed, and so you could have that argument as well. So it gets a little dicey in there. Um, I want to give a few. I have a few more examples written down here, and we can go through each one. Um, one I actually pulled uh, from this book, which we spoke about on. Episode zero. Uh, it's um, 
a theory that would not die on um, Bayes' rule. And I actually went into, there's a chapter in here about, you know, after World War II, um, the, the academia was very frequentist. Bayes' rule wasn't really used. And the area where it was used, and, and this was recognized by a guy named Arthur Bailey, was in, um, in insurance. Well, why insurance? Well, you have to use what works in, in the insurance company. Uh, and so they had to incorporate Otherwise priors. Otherwise you go out of business. Right, exactly. And so they had to incorporate priors. And one interesting example it goes into is, uh, you know, and, and this came up at a company's Christmas party that was like insurance company in North America. It's funny, in the book they said it was the, like the CEO or something was dressed as Santa and asked someone that this while they were drunk. Uh, but I don't know if that was... Uh, if that's, I don't. I could have written that wrong, or maybe he said, "I, I don't want to. I'd rather not give you an answer on Mar- after I'm a few martinis or something like that." Um, but anyway, uh, he asked. So they're um, insuring airlines, right? And so he asked, "Well, what's the probability of a mid-air collision of two planes? Never be- happened before. Um, two planes colliding in mid-air um, is uh, was not." Um, is, Certainly not in, in commercial flight. Right, right. And so it, it, essentially uh, the probability would go to zero or they, they didn't know what to do. Uh, but um, this statistician, Longley Cook was his last name, uh, he was looking at the problem and he decided, no, the probability is actually non-zero and therefore we're not charging enough for this type of insurance. And he actually extrapolated based on, you know, um, other types of uh, other types of safety malfunctions and also the projected increase in plane traffic over the next 10 years of how often this type of thing could occur. And he guessed that there would be zero to four such collisions in the next 10 years and to raise their rate. And yeah, the first such collision actually occurred in New York City two years after he uh, he noted he uh, you know he he made that projection that I I assume that the insurance company acted on that so it probably saved their so, bottom line but so thinking about this from an insurance point of view yeah bring, brings back to mind uh, uh, another uh, never happened before black swan event that that is worth uh, that is worth looking at the odds of and and that's what are the odds of 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 me dying. And not not yes, I, I, I realize that well, bar, barring the singularity, the, the odds of that are a hundred percent. I will eventually. But uh, speak for yourself, of, Aaron. Speak for yourself. The question of when will I die? And and it's not that people haven't died before or people with very similar uh, traits to myself, but but I as an individual have not died before, as evidenced by the fact that I'm talking to you now. Uh, so that that is well, that you're is making a unprecedented event that would it would be valuable for me to know when that is going to happen or, or what the odds of that happening at certain intervals are. Well, Aaron, and, this is and exactly that gets what I'm talking about. Actuarial science. Yeah. Yeah. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like you are saying, well, this is an event that has never occurred, but because I have this analogy to all these other people, um, I am I'm I'm actually can make a prediction on that. Um, now I think you mentioned the singularity uh, we can. That's an interesting monkey wrench that can be thrown into the. Uh, I, I suppose the, that is another uh, thing that has never happened before. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
but so th- so that's that's really at the core of of all this futurism and 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 uh, and prediction is right. Well, I don't how think do you assess things that haven't happened. I, hold on, I don't think people for know a certain what degree of, of yeah haven't happened before. Exactly, exactly, and that's the idea behind a local maximum. You don't get out of a local maximum. So a local maximum, like like we're saying, is when you are here, the local maximum when you're on the this hill and you want to get to that hill, walking in the same direction that you were before, uh, you're kind of stuck in your same mindset. And um, just by making analogies to the same things that you did before are not going to get you to the, um, to the higher plane of understanding. So yeah, you, have to, you have to go downhill or change gears or, change or gears. Whatever, yeah. whatever metaphor you want to use for, for yeah. coming off of that peak. Yep. All right, so let me give you another... Uh, uh, another example of something that I've run into um, of something that's never happened before, um, but you could still kind of uh, you could still get a good estimate for the probability. And I don't know if you've played a lot of these old video games you ha- where you play where you can um, you have different levels, and then when you die, you have to go back to the beginning. Uh, a lot of kind of the old arcade type games. And so, have you ever tried Aaron to beat like two levels of the video game? And you either save your win on level one or whenever you like lose a life or whatever on level one, you're like, nah, I'm going to start over and have a perfect level one before even going to level two. And then, so you've never actually played level two directly. You've either saved it or you just keep, kept playing level one until you, you won. Um, and so you've beaten both levels individually. But then I say, okay, I'm going to have you play one time. What's your... Uh, w- what's the probability that you can win this game as a whole? By the way, my, the thing I'm picturing in my mind, there are a few things I'm picturing in my mind. I'm picturing kind of a simpler one maybe for this one. Let's think of, uh, I don't know if you, you didn't have a Nintendo growing up, did you? I did not. Okay, but, but so you I, know Mike I, Tyson's punch out when like, okay, if I beat um, Glass Joe and then I beat Von Kaiser, you know, those are actually two easiest ones, but usually you're further along in the game when you have... Uh, uh, you know, if I could beat this boxer and then this boxer, but I saved my game, so I never actually beat both of them uh, in. Uh, at the, I never actually beat both of them in sequence. I've only beat them individually because I saved my game. Another one I'm thinking of the the NES Ninja Turtles. Ah, oh, that was so hard. I had to play. I had to like the last level. I would have. I, I don't to, think I played the NES yeah. one, but I know I yeah. played an arcade NES, version. NES, NES, you can't save. Punch Out, you could save because they had the codes. The Ninja Turtles, I could only beat that when later on I had an emulator that I was able to save it on on the on uh, a PC. Uh, <laughs> but that, man, that game, uh, that last level is impossible. Uh, I had to basically do it little bits at a time and then save every single. And then like some of them, I tried a hundred times. Okay, I got like three yards further. All right, but anyway. So let's suppose you're playing Punch-Out and you got two boxers that you beat one after another. And so what are some assumptions that you could make to try to estimate, okay, what's the probability that I could beat both of these boxers on, in one go? Um, and so one assumption you might make is that a win on each level is independent. You know, hey, I beat this boxer 10% of the time. I beat this other one 5% of the time. So, you know, therefore, it's going to be, ooh, what does that come out to? You multiply those together, and now, okay, I have a half of a percent uh, chance of yeah, winning odds, them. Odds are not good. Odds are not good in your favor, no. Um, okay, then you ask the question, um, 
is a win on each level. So you could, you could do that. Um, but then you realize that's not the whole story. Um, and I think we could do better. So one is that um, I'm basing this probability on all my past games, right? I've learned. Uh, I get better and better uh, each time I play. Or maybe it's been three months since I've played, and maybe I've gotten worse. So and, it, and we're assuming us, that the game isn't also learning and getting better. Which, no, no, no which these in are the all case games. Of these games. It would not. No, yeah, yeah in these games it S- would not. Similarly, these games, uh, as as far as I'm aware, uh, you basically reset in between levels. It's it's not like you're carrying over, yeah. uh, you know, any sort of strength buff or or uh, or help, you know, depletion in 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 health that that you incurred in the right. in the previous level. Right. Right. So how so. A, you could take into account that maybe my stats from before I've played this one time are, are off, either from me learning or from time passing and me not learning, losing, losing it. Yeah, um, well, you, you've talked about that in the context of, of Foursquare before, um, that you, you, you have a database of ratings going, going back to the beginning, the first time that that venue was rated. Yeah. But maybe, maybe they've changed their menu or they have a new chef. Sure. Or it, it's under new management, and so you want to deweight some of the early uh, ratings, perhaps with more in favor of recent ones. Yeah. Uh, so, so that you don't have have too much of a yeah a, a, a skew there, a bias. And in this case, we could maybe make an assumption. There are a few assumptions we could build in, like maybe I'm more likely to get better by playing more than get worse. Um, I think that's a fair assumption. Things like that. Um, and then, but but you may also be more likely to get tired if you're playing two levels in sequence yeah, and have yeah, decreased absolutely. performance. Absolutely, timing uh, compared matters. to playing them independent. Right, and so or, and, or you might get into the groove. Right, and so that's a question. Let's say there's 10 percent chance I beat this bad guy, and five percent chance I beat this other bad guy. Um, it's uh, the punch out guys are always portrayed as bad guys, but I mean it's just a game. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the. Uh, um, so uh, I, that game was really weird. They were very like um, ethnic stereotypes, very racially well, insensitive. Yeah, it's it's. But uh, <laughs> could could not and perhaps should not be made today. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, so uh, another question is: Are the two uh, levels independent? If I have to play them in sequence, and I think they're somewhat close to independent, but not entirely independent. And then we could think of ways in which they might break independence. So for example, again, like you said, I could be tired or I could be really focused. And so if I beat, if I beat the first guy and there's a 10% chance, maybe beating the second guy isn't a 5% chance. Maybe that yeah, does, goes up to 10% at that does point. Does it give you psychological or, or some other form of momentum? Right. Even if right. there's, if there's not momentum built into the yeah. into the stats engine of the game, but into yeah. into the the user input side, right? Exactly, exactly. And so um, there could be a number of things that that make them not independent. So consider those as well. There's so many things that you could put into a statistical model. You oftentimes can't put all of them in that you want to. You often have to pick. Okay, these are the important things that I want to consider, and after that, the cost of incorporating more information exceeds the benefit I get by getting a potentially more accurate probability. Um, Okay, so what do we learn from that example? I think one is you can break the event down into several sub-events, maybe A and B. They have never occurred together, but um, maybe they have both occurred independently. And 
at least there's some semblance of independence. Or if they're not independent, you could sort of imagine how they're not independent. You could have some working hypotheses on how they're not independent. So again, coming back to the meteorite striking a city, we have records going way back in, in as, uh, you know, w- when and where meteorites strike the Earth and how destructive they are. And we know where cities are and what percentage of the, the world they cover today. So we have those two data sets. So they're cities existing, that's an easy one, and meteorite strikes happening, but we have them going back like on a geologic scale, not in right. modern history. We have a little bit in modern history. There's one in Russia, but um, very, very few. And so you can, I think you can get a more accurate number there. Again, I haven't calculated these numbers directly, so it's going to be very small. But um, you can get a a number as to how likely that will be in any given year, say. Um, And another extreme example that I wanted to mention was uh, um, Gelman's paper. Gelman is a statistician at Columbia. He publishes a lot. A a lot of um, statistical... Uh, conversations now come back to a lot of Gelman's work because he publishes so much stuff and so many uh, like books and stuff. So you, so you often hear that name. But w- w- one of his is, papers... Is this the, the same Gelman of uh, the Gelman amnesia effect fame? I don't know. I, I want to say it's not because I feel like that was the work of two different people. There was a... a a, a gal and a man, not a not one guy. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is uh, yeah, this is Andrew Gelman, um, and yeah, I've read some of his books and some of his papers. But the reason why I found this was it was a paper entitled, you know, uh, estimate the probability of an event that has never occurred. But the specific event he was talking about was what's the probability of uh, your vote affecting the outcome of an election. And I think in that particular election he was looking at was like one out of a ten million or something like that. Uh, it might have been the presidential election. I'm not sure, um, but uh, it um, uh, it is interesting because you can break down the probability for each individual voter, maybe, and so that gives you a big probability distribution of how all the other voters are going to um, are going to act. So how many non-voters are there? What's the probability of one non-voter, two non-voters, three non-voters? Or what's the probability of having five voters or six voters or seven voters in the election? I, I assume there's a probability that uh, no one shows up for any given election. I believe that's actually happened in very small, like special elections before where no one, no one showed up, not even the candidates in like very small towns where. But uh, in the presidential election, the probability on that is, uh, is probably pretty low. Um, it basically means that the world has ended, probably. Uh, but it's probably around the probability of that. Uh, but, um, okay, there's probability of but, how but, many... Um, so you have to have... simplifying to yeah. say that, that this is really an analysis of there can only be one deciding vote. And so it's really yeah. a question of... There has to be an even how, number of How many voters. people are going to show up to vote? Yeah. At, well, I, I, I guess, yeah, you also have prior knowledge of how, how you're going to choose to vote. Right. And if you're... Which, which side of that divide you might fall on. Although, I guess it really doesn't matter which way you're choosing to vote if it's tied 50-50 and then you right. step into the booth because that's the only scenario where your vote would make a difference. Right, right, right. And so, um, yeah, and so 
they actually estimated a probability for this event that has not occurred and probably for the presidential election will never occur. Um, yeah, essentially, well, I don't know what, what they do if the vote is literally tied. So, But I, I assume it was based on the fact that, okay. They recount until it isn't. Right. So that your state is, well, that's another thing that, that they didn't take into account with the, the fuzziness of, of our counting. But let's assume that it's the probability that your state is tied and your state decides the electoral college winner. Um, and there's a non-zero probability of that. And that's an event that's never occurred and almost certainly will never occur in our lifetime. Uh, so, or probably will never occur ever, I'm thinking. Um, yeah, it, it certainly it, puts in, into perspective yeah. the, uh, the good odds of uh, participating in a lottery. Yeah, it came pretty damn close with um, um, Florida in 2000, though. Uh, well, and, and you could say that that vote, uh, that that election was decided by single vote, except it was the vote of one particular oh, Supreme Court justice. Yeah. But that's a little bit different because, you that's know, not, going in, there are only nine of them. So yeah. uh, there there are a relatively uh, common or it's, it's relatively common, at least in the modern era, to have four or five decisions. Sure, sure. Yeah. And any and, small. And there could be a debate about who who is actually the swing vote, uh, who who is that fifth vote, um, whether it's. Uh, because of their their I, how they swing ideologically, or who who announces last, I, I don't even know how they how they decide that. I can't. Well, they they all sign on to uh, to opinions and, to, to opinions. Yeah. So it's there's there's no there's no blind ballot. Uh, yeah. So so I, I I can't imagine that they also you know, go go they they must. In, in turn, whether it's in, 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 in order of certainty or in order of seniority or something, go around and announce uh, how, they're, how they're choosing to take their position. Yeah, I think they it's talk to that, each other. Yeah, um, on, on three, everybody anyway. either put your hand up or hold it down. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, uh, they, they work for, with each other for a long time, so they kind of they have a system going, I, I suppose. Um, but um, yeah, okay, so... Another couple of examples that look similar, but they're actually very different. So one is the, the example that Nassim Taleb always gives in his writing, and that's like the well-being of the turkey. So assume that you are a Thanksgiving turkey, and you don't know when Thanksgiving is, and you don't know how long a year is. Um, and so as the year goes on, your well-being gets better and better and better, but uh, you can't really extrapolate that because at one day, one day... The uh, uh, the game's over. Your your Thanksgiving dinner, and so oh, right. The, this this goes almost directly counter to the uh, the principle you were talking about uh, in in the context of predictions. That if something has gone on for X period of time, it is likely to go on for an additional well, X period of time. Not, not quite, not quite. Because let's say you're the turkey, but you don't know how long a year is, and so you're like, at, at first you're like, oh crap, maybe uh, maybe a year is uh, thirty days. And then 30 days goes by and you go, I guess a year is longer than 30 days. Um, but you wouldn't, your best bet wouldn't immediately be like, oh, it's probably 35. Uh, you might actually extend that. Oh, in fact, your best bet is to think that a year is, uh, is double of the amount that you've already lived to assume that you're about halfway through it. So, um, yes, your expected lifespan grows, but it grows slowly. It grows linearly. And then um, eventually, but 
you know, you know that, that the gig is up eventually. So uh, that's, uh, uh, that's how fast it grows. Now, another example is, when will I get a response to this email? I don't know if you've experienced this, but like you go one day, two days, a week, two weeks, and then eventually you start thinking, huh, I'm never going to get a response to this email. It's not like if I um, wait a month, you're like, well, I'll probably get a response in, in two months or I wait a year. I'll probably get a response in another year. No, the probability just quickly goes to zero. Like this is an event that will never happen. And so there's one that go, veers one way and there's one that veers another way. I mean, the probability of an event not occurring the next day grows in each case, but they grow in very different ways. In the turkey's case, it grows a little bit. Like I'm a little less likely to die today than I, yesterday than I was today because I think a year might be longer. But um, in the case of the email, no, I'm way less likely as as the days go by. I'm way less likely to ever receive a response to this email. Um, so that's another one. Are, is are, are you in the turkey situation? Are you in the email situation? And if you're in the turkey situation, um, like I said, the, the the turkey might assume that the year is well. If the turkey doesn't know that there's a Thanksgiving, then you're in a problem. It might think it's an email situation, things getting better and better. And so that's another thing to, to watch out for. Um, but can you estimate, you know, when that event is, is going to happen? Like, let's say, well, I know for certain it's not, it's not, it's not 10,000 days. So, you know, maybe you can extrapolate based on that. Um, again, very hand wavy, but it's just... Do you see what I'm saying? Two very different I, situations. You have to figure I, out I which think, one you're in. I think the metaphor kind of falls apart when I try and ask this question. Okay, but, go for it. Uh, so, so if 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 you're the turkey, yeah. Uh, how how do you know that? I mean, what what can you what can you take in in as what inputs do you get in that situation to identify whether you're a turkey or an email? Right, exactly, and it depends on the situation. Because uh, because. I mean, because in the email case, I, I I have I have sent and received emails before, so I can I can make a pretty good assessment there. But if I'm the turkey, I haven't lived and died before, so I yeah. I don't I don't know what if if I'm a turkey. Aaron, you from, you answered your question context. earlier in the show when you talked about um, actuarial tables. So there you go. It, uh, it's not a satisfying answer, though. No, no. Uh, okay, so. Uh, to wrap up, I want to come back to way back to episode one, if you remember that, um, where we tackled a very similar issue. Um, and that was, you know, when the uh, when there was a Hawaii missile scare and there was an accidental uh, alarm going off that there is a nuclear missile incoming to the area. Well, we asked, well, what is your prior probability of that happening? Um, and that was essentially trying to come up with a probability of, for something that has never occurred. And so, again, I think it's, it's similar to the case with the, um, with the guy who had to figure out the probability of two planes, um, two planes colliding midair. Not that, um, not that there's going to be zero to four cases of that happening in the next 10 years, just sort of similar in approach. Uh, where we can look at historical analogies and you sort of want to understand the uh, mechanism for how and why that might happen. And um, I think the bottom line is you're not completely stuck. There are techniques uh, to do this. And and the techniques are uh, analogies, breaking it up into 
uh, a sequence of events that all have to happen or um, that, that, that maybe have better analogies and that have happened before and then combining them and then trying to use your experience to um, figure out whether they're independent or not and try to estimate how things change over time. And that's, that's the approach I could take. I, don't, I feel like I gave many approaches here. So if you ever run into this problem before, I know it's not organized in a nice little checklist that you might get from a, from a, um, from a textbook, but uh, that, that kind of concludes my initial discussion of it. So what do you think? Well, the, the, the last example you brought up with the, uh, the, the ICBMs, it, right. it, it reminds me of there's, there's a, a saying that I'm probably poorly paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of, of uh, we've, we've never invented a weapon that we haven't then used uh, in, in war. And, mm. and the, That's uh, a very ominous the, the unspoken counter to that is, except for all the ones we haven't used yet. So, right. for example, nuclear ICBMs uh, as, as, as a single data point. Yeah, that's an interesting point. That doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it only it only holds true with the caveat that uh, except for all the cases where it isn't true. That doesn't. That <laughs> means it's not true. Which yeah, which makes for a weak argument. I mean, but, but you, it's but it's a catchy it's a catchy phrase. Yeah, but you could uh, use if, a time a time box on it, like uh, within a hundred years or something. Well, right, because so so that that's that's kind of what I was thinking yeah. in, in terms of of uh, if if we wanted to estimate the likelihood, you know, is is there a a uh, a consistent window on the time between you know development of a technology and its deploy and its 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 use as a weapon uh, that we can see as a trend over history and of course yeah. you can't just take the numbers on that it's you know are, are we in an era where history is literally accelerating and but but that's that's kind of how you would have to okay. potentially approach so that so here's a question here's a question is the ICBM a turkey or an email ooh. <laughs> I hope it's an email. I think. <laughs> I hope it's an email. Yes. <laughs> then, then that that that, um, that bodes well. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean the the the, I the Cold know. War, yeah. the the, the mutually assured destruction has so far proven to be an email that has yeah. never gotten a response. It could be an email in the short to medium term, but uh, Turkey in the long term. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well. Hopefully, we will not live to see that long term. Uh, all right. Any other last thoughts before uh, we talk about what we're we're heading into the next few weeks? Uh, I don't, I don't know. We just we we hit a real dark note there. So uh, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not yeah. on brand for us. But yeah. Perhaps that's a good place to go out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, next week, it looks like I might be talking to uh, Dennis Crowley again at Foursquare. Uh, so that'll be fun. I'll talk about some of the. Uh, some of the new location-based technologies that they're coming out with, and uh, maybe uh, you know, maybe talk to him about his uh, his labs project. So that could be fun. Um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, see your take on it as as now a a Foursquare outsider. Right, right, uh, outsider coming into their office. I even asked him like, "Hey, this is the conference room that I like to record in. So can you get this conference room?" And we got. <laughs> Are, are they yeah. going to have to like give you a visitor badge when you come in? Or? No, no, it, it's too small <laughs> of an office for that. It's yeah, um, uh, it's uh, yeah, like the, the the people at the front desk know me. And well, you see, I'm 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 showing my uh, my my biases. I'm used to working in in a uh, 
a government and military context. Where yeah. Not not only do I need a visitor badge, but I need an escort everywhere I go. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a few cool more few few topics I want to discuss. Obviously, come back to the tech news. Um, a few more of these probability and statistics ones. Man, this is interesting. I think this is going to get a, a good response and and a lot of follow up questions to go over. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I like talking about this. My 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 only wish would be that. And and because it's a complicated issue, it's tough to do this. But to yeah. have, like you were saying, like a checklist or you know a, a proceed proceed from steps one through six, and you will have successfully uh, estimated the odds of this yeah. never before event. No, that's if and, we're writing an article, we should come up with one yeah. of them. But I, I actually feel like someone could actually listen to this podcast episode and come up with that article. So well, that might we'll, work. We're gonna we're gonna put that on the on the whiteboard for local maximum the book and yeah. and when that goes to print, uh, that'll that'll be a chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm serious. Um when I have some time off. <laughs> All right. Uh great. Show notes at localmaxradio.com slash sixty five. Have a great week everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna see me shine someday. And they said, Dream of Savannah. Dream of Savannah. A million trillion wishes, and it won't make it all come Your hangout on air will now be broadcast on YouTube, a broadcast for up to eight hours. Okay? I don't think I have that kind of stamina. No, I don't think so either.